Dear Bramblings, it's your Uncle Luke here. are having a lovely day oh my gosh guys though i am so excited to be bringing this conversation to you today on the podcast i have a very good friend of mine his name is hunter allen and he is a uh, comic book artist video game designer um and just overall great fun loving person this conversation however we are going to be talking about having the courage to start over And my God, did this conversation become something super inspiring, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Like, this conversation is is funny, inspiring, nerdy. Um, We talk about video games a little bit and anime characters, and we also talk about safe spaces and what does failure actually mean and why... Are we so inclined to feel as though we're not good enough when someone else critiques us? Oh, I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Um, My trauma is going to be leaking out um, from the incident, and this is another example of where it does in this conversation. Towards the end of the conversation, I actually take one of Hunter's uh, art pieces, and uh, I give him my honest interpretation of it, and that's kind of where my trauma leaks out there. Um, With that being said, I just want to make sure that everyone is listening to their own boundaries and limits when listening to the interpretation there, and take breaks if you need to, and listen to yourself. Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, without further ado, let's just dive into the conversation. I'm good. Yeah. I just wanted to say like, thank you for coming on the podcast and for being here. And I'm so excited to have you. And I usually like to start this off with like all of the uh, podcasts, but like, would you be down to tell me a little bit about your story? Absolutely. Uh, First off, thank you for having me on. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure to be your guest on your podcast and especially for the first time I've ever on a podcast. So thanks for bringing that to light. Um, Yeah, my name is Hunter Allen. I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, but I've been living in Vancouver for about seven and a half years now. Um, Really? Seven years? Wow. I know. Has it been treating you okay? Yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, I feel that, you know, Vancouver itself has been 
a little difficult to live in these days with, you know, just how expensive everything is. And, you know, it's my want for my need for a better life. And there is so much the city has to offer trying to make it through regardless, you know, but yeah, I love it. I'm actually due to renew my PR right now, which I probably should be working on. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'll get around to it. It's my, that's my master procrastinator at work. Mm. But um, I understand yeah, that. I'm hoping I can keep on staying here, you know? Yeah. I've been here about seven and a half years now. Um, Moved here for a relationship that ultimately didn't work out in the end. But instead of packing up and going back home, I thought uh, I'll stay here and make the best of what the city has to offer. I am an artist. I've worked on a few comics, mostly line work and uh, coloring. And I've even worked on a little, little video game called Dad to the Bone. Um, maybe one of these days it will... It'll come to the light and be able to play it for free. You actually have played it. I have. We're being, we're being candid. Yeah, you were there at our little launch party for that, which is awesome. Thanks for yeah. coming to that. Absolutely. Uh, and now I'm gearing up to work on some solo projects. I've got a little one-shot story in the works that I'm very, very, very excited about. It's been in mm -hmm. my mind for a very long time. And I finally decided, you know what? This is the year. This is where it's going to start happening. I finally feel confident and ready to do it. So mm. where does your relationship with art kind of begin in your life? Like, Oh, it's, I've always been an artist. I remember before I was ever even in grade school, I was always drawing, you know, I'm, I'm actually hard of hearing. I wear hearing aids in both ears and actually spent the first several years of my life without hearing aids so mm. couldn't hear at all so I think a lot of times that was my way of communicating is being able to just kind of like draw things out and mm. you know I can't hear anything around me so I'll make some pretty pictures you know wow but my relationship with art has definitely been a little on and off I would say it's a mm -hmm. big component of why we're speaking today it's interesting like I have this like for a long time, I had this, like, love-hate thing with art. Mm. I remember in grade school, like, seventh grade, I had this teacher, and I always try to think outside the box. I remember this one time, I turned something in, and she was like, no, this is wrong. This is not how you do it. And mm. little little old me was like, okay, well, I'm not doing art school anymore. And then I didn't take, I didn't take art in high school or anything, and then uh, really wish I had spent a lot of my time in my 20s despite loving art and creating it always thinking I wasn't quite good enough as good as the pros especially when I'm looking around me I, like I've been in art classes where I'll look around me and see these people who have just been ingrained in it so hard in their life and they're so much better and I kind of let that low self-confidence beat me down a bit and the words in my mind say no you can't do this right Mm. Um, and it wasn't really until I, even the last few years, honestly, being here, meeting some incredible people and surrounding myself with people who had the same interests and passions that I do. And now I've been able to learn and grow and create and finally, finally, finally at 31 years old, feel ready to tackle the art world and make my own, you know, put my stamp on it. Right. Yeah. So wow. that's amazing.
I totally relate to the feeling of comparison and oh, it can be so paralyzing. And no, I was actually just wondering, like curious old me, like what were the kind of the first things you would draw? Pokemon. Nice. Mario characters, Nintendo. Growing up as a Nintendo fanboy, I was always drawing like the characters that I love. Not just Nintendo, I remember drawing like Sonic the Hedgehog characters all the time. Being yeah. a little nerd that I was obsessed with Sonic Adventure 2 battle. And I would, you know, be in class, not paying to the teacher, drawing out my Sonic and Shadow fan art, you know. Mm. <laughs> fan art in general is where probably where it all started, for sure. <laughs> oh, I love that. Wow. Oh, I see you drinking something. What's in your cup there? This is one of my questions that I've been asking people these days. I'm drinking a delicious lime bubbly. I'm showing it to you on the screen, even though the viewers won't see it. <laughs> I freaking love the lime bubblies. I've been going kind of nuts for them. I love fizzy water. Soda water bubbly is amazing. I drink it pretty much every single day. It's, as I used to be so addicted to sodas, and then I finally got that sweet, sweet, crisp spicy water feel from bubbly this is not a brand deal this is not sponsored bubbly is not paying me to say these things it is just <laughs> it is just that good it's delicious <laughs> it is i agree it's something that i actually did one day is i got one of those like little mio squirty things i got yeah. the lemon one and i put it into a lime bubbly and it mm. tasted like sprite that sounds delicious. I'll it was exactly that. like Sprite. It was like, what is this? There's no sugar in the Sprite. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, yeah, I've got right now a cup of coffee because I am addicted to coffee. Me too. So recently uh, in my apartment building on my floor, there is a fireplace that no one uses. It's never on. And people kind of just put things on it that they don't really want. What? And it kind of becomes <laughs> this, like, communal, like, table of one man's trash is another man's treasure. Oh, okay. And someone put an espresso machine on it. Ooh, and I had wow. one of those moments where I was, like, walking past it, and I saw it at the corner of my eyes, and then I, like, paused, and I took a breath. And then I looked back at it, and then, like, I walked backwards. <laughs> and then I faced it, and I was like, do I take this? No, and then I keep walking to the elevator, and then I push the button, and then I'm like, but wait, you kind of always wanted one. Maybe you should. No, I don't have the time for that. No, I shouldn't. But it's free. when else am I going to get this chance, right? Like, what if it's not there when I'm back? I'm like, oh, ah, crap, and your apartment's just right there, Luke. You can do this. And I'm like, okay, so I ignore the elevator as it opens, and I turn around, I grab it, I unlock my apartment, and I put it in my room lock the door and then I'm on my way and I have been loving it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have been loving it. I currently uh, ground up some like uh, some coffee that's not normally for espresso machines because I was like, screw it. It's just a grind. Who cares about the type? And yeah, I've just been exploring the the lands of Central America <laughs> through my espresso machine. How worldly of you. I know. I'm such a coffee nerd. <laughs> I actually, I'm so addicted to coffee, but the lazy side of me very rarely makes coffee at home. See, what you don't see, you, you, you've seen me drinking this bubbly, but what the real secret is, on the farther side of my desk, I've got a delicious Java Monster as well, just in case <laughs> I start feeling a little, a little sleepy. Very nice. 
what can I say? You know, 7-Eleven has those little buy the two for six dollars, whatever. And I work right next to one. And despite my inner monologue saying you don't need to 300 milligram triple shot drop of monsters today. And I'm like, yes, I do. Nah, yeah, I need it. And throw, throw, throw a couple of taquitos in there as well. You know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Well, Hunter, we are... I, this sounds, why do I keep thinking about it in this way? But I'm like, we are gathered here today. Um, <laughs> are we getting married today? No. You didn't tell me? Oh my God. I... Why do I, my brain just goes there, but. Is that why have... you gave me the ring at the, at the bone launch party? <laughs> no. I thought that seemed kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's good though. Um. No, we're coming here together to talk about, <laughs> you see, it still doesn't sound right, but let's just move past it. We're here to talk about essentially having the courage to start again. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I approached you to like come onto the podcast and part of my process is I like the uh, guest to choose what they want to talk about. You're talking a lot about how in your story, you very much had this narrative of not feeling like you're good enough, but then overcoming it mm-hmm. in some way. So I don't know, in my head, when I picture narratives like that, because I relate to it so deeply, is in my head, I see it as like a movie that I play in my head. Mm-hmm. I envision like my goals, you know, growing up as a competitive Irish dancer, I would always envision myself like at the award ceremonies at competitions. Funny enough, like most of the time where they were in Nashville, Tennessee, and um oh really yes you, you know that big uh hotel there the gaylord opryland hotel absolutely um, that place just i have thoughts and memories and anyways i would always envision myself you know i'm in nashville i'm on the stage it's the award ceremonies and just the feelings of what it would be like to get top five and then going through the whole experience of like and in fifth place we have not me and in fourth place we have not me and then eventually going up to like second place and the moment second place is announced we know who the winner is and just imagining myself becoming the winner and you know the tears in my eyes the sash on my shoulder the trophy in my hands the medal around my neck and everyone cheering my name and how often i uh i never got there well Never too late. It might be too late for that dream, but I think maybe that dream could maybe look like something else in some right. other way. But yeah, I'm just wondering, like, can you relate to that? Oh, yeah. All the time. Almost to a detriment. Moving to Vancouver, one of the things that I picked up was walking everywhere. Mm-hmm. Because uh, back home, I would have to drive everywhere. And then coming here, I was forced to get into like public transit and walking. And one of the things I love to do most now is walking. Even if I can take the train, I'll walk home. And what I do is I'll put on some music and just think and walk. And a lot of times I will spend that time thinking about aspects of my life, past, present, and future. Yeah, like I have so many dreams that, you know, it's, it's easy to lose count, right? And then I can say like one of them is like, I've always wanted to really get into animation and come up with that great like animated 
comedy or horror concept to my favorite genres and eventually getting something on Netflix or whatever or a movie and I always think about the feeling of being around all the people that I love my friends and family and all of us getting to watch this thing that I created for the first time and mm. yeah that's probably something that a, a feeling I'm always chasing I did that dad to the bone video game event that was something I was almost trying to bring to life in a way right like bring yeah bring everybody over that I love and get away from the experiences things that I've been working on and um it's a big motivator for sure but then a lot of times I think about the things in the past whether it be mistakes or missed opportunities and I always think about what I would do differently Mm. always and it's like what would I do if I were wake up and suddenly I'm in high school again surrounded by all these people that I don't talk to anymore because I was a kind of a butthead I would go back and I would do things differently do better in school focus more on my true passions in Mm. life and not so much on the things that are now looking back were not that important right Mm -hmm. I do this all the time like I envision myself as would it be like if I finally were working out and getting fit and healthy and how different things would be if that were the case? Or, you know, I, I think I just take every scenario possible in my mind and always think, what if, what if, what if? And um, mm. it's almost comforting in a way, right? Like to think to kind of play that movie in your head. Even when I'm laying in bed, falling asleep, I fall asleep to thoughts of scenarios playing out in my head. Yeah. It's comforting, but it can also be like a detriment because especially when it comes to like the future thing, I almost set an expectation mm. to that sort of thing, whether it's like a conversation that I have to have with somebody later that might not be a very comfortable conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're playing the script over and over and over in your head and exactly how you want the conversation to go. And you're like, all right, I'm ready. And then in the moment you're sitting there and you're like, so uh you're great um yeah oh it hurts <laughs> it, it very rarely ever goes the way that you think that it's gonna go but you know yeah it doesn't mean things can't still have like the same end result if that's what you're looking for mm. you know it's mm-hmm. a lot of times those dreams are that first step into making it happen yeah wow no i love that you were talking about expectations because i feel like for me that movie in my head created these like stealth expectations in a sense where I I didn't really realize that I was expecting my life to kind of turn out like that, Mm -hmm. playing these movies in my head over and over and over again. And I think for me, it got really hard to express this movie to other people. I realized how vulnerable it really feels to tell people your hopes and dreams Mm -hmm. because I feel as though people kind of get resentful when they hear about other people's hopes and dreams. And I I think resentful is the right word simply because it kind of comes from this place of envy. Right. I'm not mad that you're telling me your hopes and dreams. I'm mad that I'm not living mine. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to then say something that maybe cuts you down a little bit. So then you don't have to live your hopes and dreams just like I'm not living mine. That was a narrative that would often happen to me. And I eventually like just stopped telling people about the movie or the comic strip that would play in my head. And what would happen is I would create these expectations over and over and over again, and I would have no one to help me manage them. Mm -hmm. 
there was no one around to really tell me like luke that's maybe a little too much like right. maybe think about the first step of the ladder not the like 58th <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean and absolutely uh, because i didn't really have anyone to healthily manage my expectations i feel like i was left disappointed far too often mm -hmm. in my irish dance career at least I don't know. Do you relate to that? Is there anything? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I think something that a lot of people don't quite realize is that when it comes to the expectation, it's not just us alone who has set those expectations for ourselves. I think so many of us grew up around, you know, like family and teachers and whatnot that look at you like, you're going to go on to do these great things. You're going to be amazing. You're going to change the world. And while that in the moment feels so positive and encouraging, it can kind of sting a bit once you're 10 years later and you look back on that and you're like, wow, that didn't happen for me at all. Mm -hmm. And then it creates a disappointment within yourself because you didn't follow not only the expectations for yourself, but the expectations of other people. The hard thing to come to terms with, if I'm giving like an art piece to someone, I'm showing someone, a lot of times I don't like showing art to like friends or family outside of like social media and stuff because I'm always thinking well they're gonna just say this is great and it's wonderful it's amazing mm. but they're gonna say that anyway mm. regardless of what you put out so it does really help a lot to have people that are there to encourage you and help you grow and realize your dreams but also know how to do it in a way that isn't going to end up being a detriment mm. like a big way that helped me get back into art was meeting a good friend of mine joel you met him at the dad's a bone event he approached me to work on almost home the comic series that i worked on the trilogy mm -hmm. that just that just wrapped up and you know i remember at first he was like yeah we're really looking for someone that could like ink it and then like maybe do some coloring and i remember my mind being like uh Sounds great, would be amazing, but I don't think I can do it. But he was encouraging and was like, you can do it, you, you can. And they brought me on. And while it was definitely a learning process and took a lot of time, a lot of trial and error, one thing I really appreciate about him and the rest of the crew is that whenever I would show them what I'm doing, they would know how to properly critique it. Mm. and give feedback that would help me grow rather than cut me down and then but also know how to compliment in a way that isn't just complimenting me at face value basically it's just saying like i like it for the sake of it because you're my friend and i love you and i don't want you to feel sad right mm. it's a it's a weird balance yeah i really love what you're bringing up is that sometimes the story that we tell ourselves is not from us yeah I love that you're mentioning that because I think that's so true that sometimes the words that we say to ourselves about ourselves actually come from our parents or teachers or peers in some way. And it's strangely enough, I think it's like their opinion of you thrust upon you. And it's almost like you have to carry the weight of that expectation as well. And it starts morphing itself into your idea of how you think you should live your life. I just really love that you brought that up because I think it's really true. And I think that's something that we need to have some awareness about is like, is the story that I'm telling myself my story? Or is that my mom's? Or is that my dad's? Or is that my brothers or sisters or teachers or coaches? Yeah. So that's actually another point I really wanted to bring up when thinking to talk about on this podcast is the other side of that expectation, because I just talked about like the positive side in a way of expectations where they're like, you can do it. You can do anything you set your mind to, which you know, 
to a degree, that's true. But then there's the other side of the expectations where you almost feel pressured to become this person that you don't want to be. Mm. I'm very, very much of the opinion that when you're 17, 18 years old, you should not be forced to know what you want to do with your life right then and there and be ready to sign up for college and put yourself in $100,000 of debt and all of these things that you're, you're still developing mind is not ready to take on yet. Mm-hmm. But society and our parents and people make it not feel quite that easy sometimes. So I do have a degree in graphic design. I did go to school for that. And that's a whole other story, which boils down to me looking at those around me and being like, I'm not good enough. So I just kind of shut down. So I technically have a degree, but I wouldn't say I quite earned it. But then afterwards, I started to go to university for marketing. Mm. In the end, I really only started to do that because on one side, I would have a teacher that'd be like, you'd be really good at this. You should do that. And then I would have parents and grandparents tell me, you got to go to college and you have to get a good job and you need to go to this university. That isn't just the community college that you went to, et cetera, et cetera. And so I started going and signed up for the loans and saw the debt racking up and mm-hmm. was going to class, just, just being in the classroom. I just remember like, this is not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of had to muster up the courage by the end of that semester to just say, I don't want to keep doing this. This isn't going to work. You know, if I'm just going to go to college for the sake of it and go into debt for the sake of it, then I'm just hurting myself in the long run mm-hmm. just to a- appease people around me. So I think so many people go through that. So many people like it's. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that you kind of chose what you like yeah like there's a lot of that story of like you need to go to marketing you need to go to school because you i'm assuming because i've had this said to me is like art's nice but it's something to fall back on right it seems as though you're kind of choosing it instead Mm -hmm. that's the story that maybe you you're finally telling yourself right Mm -hmm. yeah it's just really making me think about the relationship between boundaries and authenticity Right. And uh, I was looking through one of my books here called The Gifts of Imperfection. It's great. I recommend it. But they define authenticity as the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. I 100 million thousand percent agree with that. Absolutely. Yes. And so what's what sort of action did you have to take to really choose yourself and kind of block out those stories that weren't yours well i would say a big part of it was me moving to basically another country from one mm-hmm. side of the continent to the other quite Literally honestly putting a border between yes. you yeah so while i moved here for one reason um i decided to stay for another reason which is myself i'm actually it's funny because i actually moved here for somebody and I ended up staying to become my own person. And I don't think I quite realized that until really several years into me actually living here. Even me moving here was not a popular decision back home. My family did not want me to move. Mm -hmm. My friends did not want me to move. And I did it anyway, though technically I did it for the wrong reasons. Mm. And in the end, it did cost me some friendships which have now since rekindled but you know it's tough right like as the years have gone on and the more people that I meet I've just spent so much of my life just I'm just truly 
disliking who I am. Like I deal with a lot of intense depression and anxiety and insecurity to this day. Like I hate to say that I'm, you know, I'm coming on here preaching, but you know, I'm really not perfect either. You know, nobody is. We have our highs and lows, but I just had to really come to terms to what I didn't like about myself and how to fix that and the steps that I could take to to start liking myself a little bit more, mm. you know, instead of worrying about other people, whether or not they like me or dislike me. Mm. And the more that I've started to face that fear of people potentially not liking me just saying, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be who I am. And if they don't like that, that's fine. And I can actually say with confidence that for the most part it's worked. Mm. Like on the family side of things, I love my family very dearly. And I have pretty good relationships with them, but I don't know if they realize it, but they definitely put like maybe an unintended pressure on me to be a certain person and to fit in with a certain mold. Mm -hmm. And I was always scared that if I don't be this person and if I don't do what they say, then I'm going to lose them. I'm not going to have a family. And I think somewhere along the line, I just decided, screw it. I'm going to live for myself and do what makes me happy. And now, like, when I go home, I continue to be that person, and they still love me. I'm still Hunter, and they still treat me with love and care and kindness and are excited to have me around and just happy to have me in their lives. And then yeah. all, all that fear is washed away mm. because I just said, screw it. I'm going to do what makes me happy. And I think when people start to see what you're like when you're living authentically, they will be like, okay, I see now. I get it. And I'm just happy to see you thrive and succeed, you know? And I mean, because of that, I try to continue to apply that sort of thing in other areas of my life. You know, with like art, I get nervous. I get scared. I get worried. And I was like, you know, no, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, I get surprised because I'll show people what I have. And they're like, oh, well, this, this is great. It's amazing. You did fantastic. And I'm like, so I just got to stop being so hard on myself. And same thing with work, being at a job, you know, the co-working and stuff or school or wherever. Like I was, felt like I had trouble fitting in because I get so nervous and quiet. And my most recent job I went in was like, I'm going to be who I want to be. I'm just going to pretend like I'm with friends that I've already known for years. And my first couple of days, I just started cracking jokes and being silly and you know just trying to have a good time and it worked really well in my favor and and I now I really like my job and I really like who everyone I work with I've worked so many jobs where I just feel alone because I'm just Mm -hmm. like oh nobody really knows who I am because I'm too timid and scared to get out that bubble I don't know you know what I mean totally I was kind of just picking up a little bit about the story of like people telling you what they think you should be and I noticed you're saying words like fitting in with the new crowds and also talking a little bit about like fear of of starting projects it kind of sounds like there's an unsafe feeling sometimes when you're in that state if that makes any sense like you're not safe to be authentically you Mm -hmm. Uh, I just wonder when you feel that energy that flow that creative process like everything's just kind of working out do you find that your your most creative and your most uh, inspired moments are when you're feeling as though you are safe to be authentically you? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Like, what does it look like? What is the safe space for a uh, hunter? The safe haven, if you will. Hmm. 
for me, like I'm someone who likes to, if I'm drawing, I will try to create this sort of like vibe that I'm going for in the art. Mm-hmm. So obviously like music is a big factor. Really what it is, for example, I go between like a lot of different genres and stuff when I'm drawing. So like I'm really interested in horror. I'm really interested in comedy, mm-hmm. all of that. So if I'm drawing something kind of horror related, I'll put on a dark scent like rave from hell music because it kind of like gets the, the energy going and the blood pumping and um I kind of do the same thing in the genre. Like, I'll start off kind of like with some kind of chill music, it's similar to Lo-Fi Girl in a way. But I'll like, I could, I'll go on like YouTube playlists, listen like synthwave and chill step and whatnot, video game music. You know, I continue to listen to that sort of thing, and then until I get that kind of aha moment, and I'm like, it all comes together because I'm very hard on myself when I'm doing work so if things are not going my way all right off the bat I have to create like as comfortable as a space for myself that I'm willing to remain in until everything kind of clicks mm. and then when things do kind of click I will put something on that's like almost more upbeat and will be like high energy yeah it's like it's almost like i took a drug right because i'm just like i just mm. i figured it out and now it's just like focused and going and yeah on and all it's almost like a dam breaks and all the ideas kind of start flowing through and that's that's really just my favorite state to be in is when the ideas finally start to work out you can see it on paper or a tablet or wherever you're creating your art on and then it all just starts to flow through through and i'm on discord messaging like the people that i'm working with collaborators and like what about this would be amazing this would be amazing and it all starts to kind of come together you know getting past that nervous stage that dream stage of the thing hasn't been started yet and it's like i don't know where this is going to go and yeah. then we get closer and closer to that finished product like well, I, something that I'm, I'm noticing you're saying is that like that nervous stage that you're talking about is so imperative to get to that inspired stage it's almost like it's part of the contract to get there yeah and i'm just wondering like just in general do you think those who are trying to get to that inspired state and they don't feel as though they have the safety to feel that nervous state do you think that success comes quickly i think the problem is that everyone wants that success to come quickly Mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to jump, especially if it's, let's say, it's a newfound passion or just something that you're, you know, exploring, you're figuring out for the first time in general, you know. Everyone wants to be a natural at something. I think a lot of people think, if I'm meant to do this, then I'll be a natural at it. It'll just flow, mm. right? And that isn't always the case. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have to learn the process of whatever it is you are doing, whatever it is you're trying to experience. Very, very few people in the world are true genuine naturals and are experts right off the bat and you kind of have to sit down and accept the fact that you're not going to be that Mm. and that isn't meant to be discouraging it's meant to say if you are passionate enough about the subject or the hobby or whatever it is that you're trying to do want to do if you're passionate about it and if you're willing to put in the work to do it it can happen Mm. and eventually it might come off like you are a natural right you know i consider myself a self-taught artist in a lot of ways because as i mentioned earlier i i took one bad critique from a teacher in the seventh grade Mm. and i 
just let that stick for so long and I refused to go into classrooms and learn because I was afraid of that sort of thing happening again because I'm so hard on myself it's, it's almost kind of like you know how people will like post something online and you could receive like all of these positive comments about it but then you get that one negative comment and then you're just looking at it and you're like why did that person say this what is wrong why am I not good enough I suck, blah, 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 I'm not perfect. And that's just kind of where it all starts, this spiral. Mm-hmm. So I let so much of that dictate my growth as an artist for so long. And it wasn't until really after the, the pandemic that I started taking it more seriously. But so much of what I know now is self-taught mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of like collaborators' feedback. And it's just because I I could probably know so much more now than I would if I just gone to the classes, if I just taken the time to to accept that feedback, right? Yeah, wow. It is what it is. There's a a teacher at Harvard. Her name is um, Dr. Sarah Lewis. And she studies a lot about like success and mastery and the creative process. And she really talks about the importance of embryonic safe spaces. And she uses the word embryonic quite intentionally because a safe space should feel as though you're back in the womb, you know, like you're so safe and protected and comfortable. And uh, we need that space to make the mistakes, to fail, to go through that nervous state, as you're saying. And when we don't have those embryonic safe spaces, and we are welcomed into an environment in which we don't know what other people are going to say or how they're going to react or how people are going to give us feedback, it can be incredibly damaging. Mm. And yeah, I'm also getting flashes to this word that I love. It's called chrysalism. And chrysalism comes from uh, the word chrysalis, which is uh, part of the life cycle of the butterfly. It's like the cocoon. Mm -hmm. And chrysalis actually comes from the Greek word chrysos, which means gold. And scientists use the term chrysalis in that context because they would typically have this like golden iridescence to them. And there's a part of me that also feels as though there's like a poetic reason why they chose the word chrysalis, because in the life cycle of a butterfly, it's like the caterpillar is spinning itself into that chrysalis and creating a safe space for itself so it can change and it can go through so much pain and whatever the the process of metamorphosis is like but it's in this safe little cocoon and then finally when it's time it emerges with its golden achievement of its wings yeah and for me i just think if there's anyone out there who wants to try to be more creative and wants to try to be more anything, wants to change. You got to start assessing your safe spaces, right? Right. And the places where you feel as though you can be authentically you. Mm -hmm. And you have the right to fail. Right. Which now leads me into another question, which is, um, what is, what does failure mean to you? I think a lot of people consider failure to be not completing the task, you know, or not succeeding in general, like, especially right off the bat. To me, failure is not being willing to recognize that you can still succeed as long as you, you know, get back up and keep trying. Mm -hmm. Um, Failure 
to me can be a good thing, even if it hurts in the moment. It helps us learn and grow, move forward, whatever helps those wings grow, right? Mm -hmm. Because many times working through the pain of that failure just makes the joy of success that much sweeter. Mm. People have highs and lows in life all the time. I don't think anyone is, rarely is anyone ever on a complete true path of success with no obstacles, right? Where we are all striving for a success of some sort mm-hmm. and nobody quite has it in the bag 100% of the time. To me, if you try something and then you don't succeed, but then if you just give up right then and there and you're saying, I'm not good enough, throw it in the trash, never look back again, that's where I think mm. you may have failed. That's not to say, though, that you can't you know, try something new and decide this isn't for me. All time failure can be focusing on the wrong things and mm. putting so much stock into something you're not actually passionate about and then going or going on to live a life of unhappiness because you put so much into this one thing that brings you no joy so even though in some ways you succeeded you've still failed you know like it's i think failure is a very gray area Mm. you know it's never quite black and white can't do it all a lot of times succeed in something you gotta fail on someone else so i think it's up to you to decide what's going to be your failure what's going to be your success Mm. and if you fail on something that's okay yeah you can either keep chucking or move on to the next thing. Just keep trying. Just I think a lot of failure is not taking the steps to become the person that you personally want to be. Mm. Not living for yourself, living for others. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It has a lot of different meanings, I guess. Like it really has a lot of different meanings to the word. No, totally. And, it, it sounds stormy. Yeah. A little bit, you know? I kind of get images in my head of trying to like walk outside in the storm in a thunderstorm or something and you're getting pelted by rain and it's just that that feeling of like what am I doing yeah you know and uh that's where in my opinion like storms can be just so sucky and so dangerous sometimes too when you're out in the middle of it and you don't know where uh up or down left or right is and everything's just so disorienting and Mm -hmm. um, I mean that's kind of where the the what the term crystallism actually means is when you're inside safely watching a thunderstorm that's the feeling you get it's chrysalism and i think yeah failure in a sense is is that feeling of like walking out in the storm and it sounds like what you're saying like a success is that feeling you maybe get when you're inside yeah you know safe and sound and i like that and it also kind of reminds me of another thing that um dr sarah lewis was talking about where she really likes to use the word blankness instead of failure because I think failure societally has this shame that's really like glued to the whole concept of it. Right. And it sounds like what you're saying is that failure could be so many things and so many opportunities. However, when we hear failure, we think I'm a failure, right? We, we associate right. ourselves with the, the feeling. And if we were to even like break down the linguistics of I am a failure. I talk about linguistics far too much in this <laughs> podcast and language. It's just wild. But anyways, yeah, if you break down the linguistics of I am a failure, you're essentially just saying like a hundred percent of me is only one thing. And that's not true. No, nope. you're so many other things, right? And you're not just one thing. 
So she likes to use the word blankness because it kind of creates a new slate for the whole concept of what failure is supposed to be. And in a sense, it's kind of like you're wiping clean the slate. Mm-hmm. You know, you're starting over, you're trying again, and you now have a blank canvas, a blank sheet. And I think you were just talking about this a little bit as well, but that blank sheet is terrifying. It, it is. Yeah, I would say finding myself in a new country, new city, especially after a quote-unquote failed relationship, mm-hmm. you know, I had to sit there, stand there, and be like, well, now I'm in this place where I know nothing, I know nobody, customs are different, everything's different, everyone I know and love are all miles and miles and miles away, but they're also in a place where I wasn't happy being myself, so mm-hmm. now it's like, well, shit, I got to look around and I got to figure out what am I going to do with this, you know, because it really did feel like having that new environment, it was terrifying. It was terrifying. I think it was really the first time I was ever truly independent because, you know, back home I had family and everything and I would run into a little trouble and I could just go over to my mom's house or grandparents or dad's or whatever and get some of that comfort there. Mm-hmm. But here I was really forced to face the music and work out work my own problems and work on myself and i'm not gonna say that i'm 100 percent there yet but i think i know i know that i am way farther than i would be if i had just given up mm-hmm. and just said well that's over i'm gonna go home and wallow you know what's so funny is what you just said there my first thought was ash ketchum from pokemon right I just totally imagined his journey in the uh, the Pokemon anime, and it's just funny because his whole pursuit, his like main goal, was to become a Pokemon master. Yep. Right. You and I both watched the show probably from the beginning. Like, oh yeah. How long did it take him to finally become like a world champion? Has it been like twenty five years? Yes. I mean, he's still technically it, it was ten. Roughly- so. I mean, if you want to, if you don't want to get the whole semantics of being the Orange Island winner and all that, you know, yes, though, you're right. Like, it really took years and years and years of being a 10-year-old going. <laughs> I mean, that's a question. It's not an actual reality. Yeah, but... of course. No, no, I'm just, I'm just being a butt. But no, that's 100%. It's funny, like, I'm going to lightly spoil an answer to one of your rapid fire questions, but another character I've had in mind would probably be Luffy from One Piece. Mm-hmm. I've I've been really obsessed with this show lately, and uh, I've been watching so much of it. And one thing I really love about the main character Luffy is just the fact that he is so determined to accomplish this goal of his. To become the king of the pirates mm-hmm. and he's willing to essentially do whatever it takes to do that but he at the same time if he finds himself in like an impossible situation where he will potentially die he always thinks to himself is like well you know what? if i die here at least i died fighting for my dreams and my goals being exactly who i wanted to be and i will have no regrets about that wow. that's one one thing about anime is sometimes these characters have such long drawn out inner monologues and luffy is just so straight to the point he's like nope this is what i want to do this is how it's going to happen if it doesn't happen at least i died fighting trying to make it happen wow and, you know and i think that's a valuable thing to take away from it you know yeah i'm not saying go kill yourself and make your do trying to do this thing please don't do that you know yeah 
<laughs> it sounds like what you just said was almost like the definition of mastery, according to Dr. Sarah Lewis. Yeah. It's so wild that you say that. Like, she describes mastery as the continued reach for a goal, whereas success is more of, like, the landing of, if that makes any sense. It's like these punctuated moments in your life where you can look back and you're like, oh, I got that award. That was a success. Mm -hmm. I got that thing. That was a success. But right. it's almost as if mastery is this continued reach towards a goal that's so close, but just far enough that you have to keep reaching. And it's just funny because that's uh, Luffy's um, superpower is that he's able to reach really far. Um, <laughs> right? But at the exact same time, like going back to Ash Ketchum, his whole pursuit was Pokemon mastery. And the amount of times he lost and the amount of times he won didn't really matter because throughout his 25 years of being on television, he was constantly reaching for that goal. Yeah. Right? Until he finally, like, he got it. But uh, for me, that's that's what the difference is between success and mastery, is that mastery is this choice to choose a goal that you want to dedicate your life to, that you're going to just keep reaching towards. Mm -hmm. And success is just the little happy, joyful moments along the way. You know Absolutely. I mean? Yeah. Like, I can, I guess for a good example of that would be, say, like, these comics that and I've got the three issues that I've worked on hanging on my wall right now above my computer because it's a reminder of the successes I've had so far. It's easy for me to be so hard on myself and be like, I have not done nearly enough with my life. Mm. I'm 31 years old. I'm watching people 10 years younger than me be more successful than I am. And it's a difficult thing to swallow. But then I take a look at these comics. I was like, no, I have these quite literally physical representations of success right here because as someone who has always been so scared to take that jump has always thought I'm not good enough and I've always let that low self-confidence take over yeah on top of also being a really bad procrastinator finally having these finished product products in my hand the feeling that I get from like flipping through the pages and seeing the work that I've done, it means the world to me. Mm. I'll be honest, like I haven't even made any money from these comments, but I still feel so blessed and successful to just have these things, these these works of art that I've worked on with my friends who built me up and encouraged me to take that jump. And mastery, of course, you know, in the end, my goal would be to have my own, you know, animated TV show or my own comic series or, you know, there's just so many things I would love to do. And mm -hmm. even if I don't become rich, even if I don't become super famous and I spend 40 hours a week working in a kitchen like I currently do, I still get to go home and continue working and doing the things that I love. And every finished project just makes me feel more and more successful. Mm, I love that. Oh, yeah, it sounds like you've really chosen the path of becoming the master artist or master animator of some sort. And it's awesome. Like, no amount of successes really matter. No amount of failures really matter. So long as you're on your pursuit of mastery, everything is right. Because, I mean, how many... Pokemon League says ass lost in the end. Most people would give up and say, well, that's it for me. I didn't win. Exactly. I'm not the best, but Ash just said, you know what? Nope. On to the next one. Right. Blankness again. Like every 
region that he goes to, he intentionally leaves all his Pokemon back with Professor Oak, except for Pikachu, and he starts anew. Mm-hmm. And I think just having Ash as this character in my life as this role model who is unintentionally teaching me the importance of choosing a path and that every single fumble, every single trip, and every single joyful, successful moment is all part of the journey. And there's no shame in in any of it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, light spoiler alert, you know, in the end, in his final episodes, he wins and also utilizes, you know, like Pokemon from his past, right? He brings people in, like, even though they were ultimately some way part of his failure, he was still able to take these aspects and, like, bring them all together for the ultimate success. Yes. All of of his friends and family and everybody watching, and you Mm. get that that euphoric feeling of, I did it, I did it, you know, and that's... I think that's a feeling that we're all chasing. Yeah. I think so many of us want to think success can only happen in our 20s. And that is like, if you haven't found success by the time you're 26, 27, then you're you're screwed. And I know so many people, you know, the older I get, the more younger people that I meet. And that's shocking amount of these people, especially once they start getting closer to being 30, that fear of turning 30 is always there. Mm-hmm. And it's always like, well, I haven't done nearly enough with my 20s that I wanted to. Now I'm going to my 30s and I'm just going to be old and decrepit and my life is over. It's just begun. I always tell them, yeah, it's truly just begun. Mm-hmm. You know, there's such a weird, I think it is kind of weird, this weird stigma of your 30s being the beginning of the end when it's not. You know, why would you go through 20 years of growing up just to only have 10 years of success and then it's over, right? Like you want to... Life just continues going, regardless of how your age, and the possibilities are always going to be there, mm-hmm. no matter what age you are. There's so many, you know, actors and actresses that didn't get into acting mm-hmm. until they were in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and then they hit it big, you know? Yeah. Wow. There are people who have lived twice the lifetimes that I've lived and didn't, like, find success I'm using air quotes, whatever, until that long, right? And I'm not saying it's always going to be that long. Everybody's success comes at different times in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it, in the end, it's really what you make of it. But yeah, it's never too late to start. And it's never too late to start over. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Hunter, I was wondering, this is something that I've been doing with every artist that I interview on the podcast, but I like to stalk their Instagram. <laughs> Oh, no. And I like to uh, choose a piece that really sticks out to me, and I like to um, write out my feelings about okay. a piece. Would that be okay if I shared that with you? Absolutely. I'm very curious. Okay. So the piece I chose was called Oakhaven. Do you know which one that is? I do. Yeah. It's, so, on, my, it's on my wall right now, actually. <laughs> is it? So, yeah, this piece really stands out to me because... It reminds me of the treehouse that I used to have growing up. It reminds me of the safe haven I had in the backyard that I could run away to when things felt just a little too intense. In this piece, however, the dark, harsh lines and the jagged edges really make me feel as though the oak haven creature has really dark intentions. You know, it makes my skin crawl almost when I think about how there are beings out there that could take advantage of the innocent to lure a child in with a trap 
with the promise of sweet apples and safety, I then start to grieve the loss of this child. Your description of the Oak Haven states that some remain hopeful, saying that there are an endless supplies of apples inside, enough to keep the child happy and full for the remainder of its life to the point where it never wants to leave. When I read that, I start hustling with the uncertainty of whether or not the child is alive, and it leaves me feeling vulnerable and helpless. I'm then reminded of my current relationship with Hope. When my friend died recently, about four months ago, I remember this moment when I was giving him CPR where he gurgled out some air. And I remember in that moment, I was just thinking like, oh my God, is he alive? Like maybe, maybe he's breathing. And then when I found out that he actually died, it was hope that had actually cut me the deepest. And it was in that moment that I started to understand why in Greek mythology, hope is the last monster inside of Pandora's box. The Oakhaven creature for me kind of symbolizes that part of my childhood that died that day too. As much as I want to continue to nurture my inner child and to continue to assume the best in people, I can't deny how painful it was to see my childhood friend die. All I have left of him is my memories, and yeah, they're as sweet as apples, but at what cost? Wow. I quite honestly speechless. Um, <laughs> thank you. Well, thank yeah. you. Um, that really... touches me a lot you know it's funny that you chose that piece because that was <laughs> that was actually the piece that i did when i finished it where i had that aha moment in life mm. and it was like i can do this mm. and i can create these wonderful works of art so that piece means quite a lot to me. Um, mm -hmm. And just, I guess it's kind of how you speak about it, especially in relations to dealing with the loss of your friend, um, which I'm very, I know we, we, we've talked about this in the past and still I'm very sorry that that happened. I, is that the loss that I can't imagine? Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's been. Uh, I've been mentioning it to pretty much every uh, podcast it seems right now, but I think it's very reflective of just like what I'm going through, and maybe mm -hmm. a symbol of my mastery as well. That I've chosen this goal, and I'm going to keep going. And you know, I I am still human, and I am still going through a lot of pain, and this pain is just a part of the path. Mm -hmm. In a sense, maybe uh, I think it's also fair to just let the people that I'm talking to know where I'm at as well. And just if I have some sort of interpretation, it's, it's probably just because that's what I'm going through. But at the same time, like, yeah, the Oakhaven creature just, he, he's creepy and, and a lot <laughs> to look at sometimes, but what he kind of represents to me is, I guess, a, a symbol of my grief. I mean, I find it, on one hand, I want to feel like, you know, ecstatic because I've never really had someone come to me about, you know, my art and that way. And I'm meaning that seeing it in a way that I personally as an artist, like never saw it, right? I mean, on the hand, you know, it's, it, it's hard, you know, like it's, it's hard to feel 
happy about when it can represent something so painful, you know? Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of honor in that. I think is what I'm trying to say is that it's so important to honor the pain too. It's so important to honor the parts that feel like you're veering off the main road. And I think to me, like I know the artist in me, if I were to put out a piece of work, I would want people to feel joyful and happy and inspired, but to put out a piece of work that maybe is a symbol of grief and pain to another person might be kind of hard to swallow, but I, I want it to kind of maybe come across as that like, Oak Haven creature helps me honor every bit of uh, that moment as integral and I don't want to change any bit of it, if that makes any sense. And it's a part of my story now. And I think that's arguably even more important. So, yeah. Yeah, I I feel like, so it's interesting, like when you say, like, if you were to put out art, it's like you want your audience to feel happy. And in a way, going back to kind of like the mastery thing is, one thing I've always, in the back of my mind, have wanted my art to be about, if I ever really get to ch- the chance to share my art with the world mm-hmm. on, like, on a grander scale, it would be being able to convey how I feel, how I felt, how my mind works, how mm-hmm. explaining to those, like, you know, I feel like I've gone through so much of my life just not getting it. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that it seems that the rest of the world understands so naturally that confuses me and scares me. And and it's just like, why don't I understand these things so naturally like everyone else around me does? Mm -hmm. And that on top of the fact that I want to have a way to convey the emotions that I'm feeling, what goes on in my mind, and hope someone out there can relate to that and it makes them feel better as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A dream of mine is, we talked about earlier how you, you asked me if I ever had like a movie or a comic playing in my head and it's like, that's quite literally something that I want to do is that, you know, I want to one day is be able to create like a comic or an animation or something that kind of is a little bit of, about myself and about how I deal with like depression and anxiety and relationships with others and the mistakes that I've made and the successes that I've earned and you know all under like a layer of like comedy right because I mm. you know I like mm-hmm. to make people laugh too so it's like it's like I want to make you laugh and I want to make you cry and yeah. you know that's, that's that's a big thing I think to me like the mastery would be for someone to see my art and the work that I do and then just come up to me and say I get it yeah I get exactly what you're saying. I get what you're going through. Yeah. And telling me that uh, it helped them in return. Mm-hmm. Well, it helps me. So I want to thank you for that. So in a form, in some way, then I guess I have hit a level of mastery that I did not think that I would, especially today. So thank you for that. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, it, does, it does mean a lot to me, you know, hearing you t- talk about that piece, even though it was... You know, it related to something that is truly, generally awful. Um, it's good to know that it hopefully helped you in a sense, I guess. I think it does. 
I think it's, uh, I think it, it is just what it is. And I'm very grateful. That's one thing I've been saying a lot in my counseling right now is that I'm just so grateful for my grief because there is nothing that melts the concrete in which we buried our problems deep underneath better than grief. And I just feel like this whole chapter in my life has really opened up my thirst for loving life, loving myself, and recognizing that for me, connecting with others is one of the meanings of life and what others do for me and what others mean to me. It's so important. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, sappiness aside, I just, uh, <laughs> would you be down to do a quick rapid fire to like tie it up? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So Hunter, Luke, what does vulnerability mean to you? Vulnerability to me is having the courage to honestly and genuinely communicate how you feel to others. Um, it's easy to bottle things up because you're worried you'll look stupid mm. or you'll drive somebody away, but you would be surprised at how many people can relate to the exact emotions and thoughts that you're having. Mm -hmm. So opening yourself up can is having the courage to, to, to open up, let others in. Mm. Ah, good answer. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? I'll give you a couple. Okay. Comedy-wise, best in the show. It is. It's a mockumentary about a uh, a dog show. Okay. Um, it's my go-to movie to show people when it's my turn to pick, and it is yet to disappoint. It is so nice. funny, so well done. Always puts a smile on my face. But horror-wise, as a big horror fan, I'm gonna say the movie Rick. It's R E C, as in like recording. That's what we're doing oh. right now. Recording. It's a found footage quote-unquote zombie movie um mm. it was one of the first horror movies that i really watched and enjoyed and it's quite really what got me into the horror genre in general after mm. spending so many years of being scared of it um and it holds up so well today you know nowadays i can watch a horror movie not bat an eye but this one still gives me that tense feeling and that's what i love about it right mm, mm. gosh yeah horror movies are hard for me sometimes i have to like overanalyze everything in order for me to be able to sit through it yeah because uh, if i don't my imagination will take over and i'll start thinking it's real and then my sleep is gone for like three months <laughs> it's it i gotta be careful with it um but uh what's your favorite tv show was it is it one piece right now or no it's not one piece okay that's a great show my favorite show is i'm gonna say is king of the hill Oh, nice. Uh, uh, yeah, I fall asleep to it constantly. It reminds me of home in the best way. Mm. Always so funny, so good. It's one of those shows that people, I think a lot of people think they don't give it a chance because they think it's going to be like some conservative garbage, but it's really not that. Like you just, I'm not going to get into a whole King of the Hills feel on, but you know, I highly recommend it to anybody out there that's listening. It's fantastic show that's fair yeah my favorite throwback to like look on when it comes to king of the hill is like hank is trying to like grease up a hinge so he's using double yes w i was just i was literally just going to use that reference yes and he can't take yes. off the lid so he takes something smaller <laughs> WD to take off the lid. 
It's so good. It's That's one of my favorite moments of all time. I'm constantly just chuckling in my head about that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, like that it was pops into my head and it just lives there for a little bit, rent free. Ah, uh, oh, so good. What's your favorite meal? I'm gonna be a piece of trash, and I'm gonna go with a Crunchwrap Supreme from Taco Bell combo with oh. a soft with a soft taco. A cheesy gordita crunch and mm. ice cold Baja Blast. Oh my gosh! Wow. But my non-trash option would probably be a chicken donair at all the works. Mm. Mm. I get that often, actually. Donair, Ooh. yeah. I love donairs. There's a place just really close to where I live, and yeah, ah, so good. Okay, so if you could have a dinner with three people, either dead, alive, or fictional. Who would they be and why? So I'm going to do one of each. Okay. Dead Stephen Hillenberg, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, oh my gosh. Love SpongeBob. A lot, I think a lot of people look on that show as just being something stupid and wacky, but especially in the beginning, near the beginning of the show, like it was really just a phenomenal work of animation and mm. comedy like it really bridged the gap of being able to make you laugh no matter what age you are mm. and um just the way that so much of it is done just makes all of them smile so that would be my my dead my dead option okay. my life my life option would be junji ito uh he's a oh. hor- horror manga artist uh he's responsible for work such as Ujimaki and tomi okay another person that has help drive my desire to work in like art and comics and whatnot. He has such a good way of drawing things out that it was just so like unsettling and creepy and it just makes your skin crawl. Mm, And, mm. uh, but the funny thing is that at the person, he's actually a very sweet, soft-spoken, kind-hearted man who just loves his cats. And funny enough, my favorite book of his is a book about him, his wife, and their two cats. And Mm -hmm. it's it's drawn really creepily, even though it's like a comedy, you know. Okay. And then fictional. Yeah. Would you like to take a guess at my fictional answer? Is it Luffy? It may or may not be Luffy. Um, As of right now, in this moment of time of the podcast of recording, with fictional character, I'm going to go with Luffy specifically because what we talked about, his ability to stay headstrong in the face of adversity despite whatever obstacle stands in his way mm-hmm. um and is willing to keep moving forward whether or not it takes 10 episodes or a thousand episodes or two thousand episodes he's going to be the king of the pirates wow yeah. so i could use a little bit of that determination in my life mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. for a thousand for a thousand episodes of my life <laughs> yeah if i could take like a another maybe an honorable mention for you i feel like if if it's okay to say maybe sure. sora would be an honorable mention that's a good one i do love me some kingdom hearts you did you say that because i have a keyblade behind me right now no yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because i have a you giant me <laughs> totally i mean he's got that air of positivity and determination and doing whatever he whatever it takes to be there for his friends, you know, and that's always something I was, I want to be. I always want to, to try to be there for people any way that I can, even if it didn't always come off that way up front, you know, I, I do care and I, I'm a very sympathetic feeling person. 
Mm. You know, I, if someone else feels bad, then I feel bad. And I don't want any, I want to make people feel good. So I totally, mm. yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty good answer to you. I'll take nice. Sora. Now, do you have a favorite Pokemon? Or actually, you could also say, uh, what would be your preferred team of six? Pokemon? Okay. So I, I love so many Pokemon. So many. We Pokemon friends for life. this. Yeah. Um, I'll, we'll have to shout out the original Haunter. Um, mm-hmm. It's because, my, of course, similar to my name. I've got a tattoo of it. Love the oh, design. Okay. But I also remember playing Pokemon Red and then remember the first time running into a Haunter. Mm. And it was, like, kind of terrifying. And I was like, but no, I'm going to catch this thing. And it's the, really the only Pokemon I think I have a specific memory of catching in, like, Pokemon Red. I didn't all blur together as, like, being a game. It just really stood out to me. So mm. always loved it. Uh, but if I had a team of six, I'm going to go with mostly Ghost. Okay. I thought about it a bit. Um, it would probably be Haunter, Chandelier, nice. Annihilate, Ooh, Drag- yeah. Dragapult, Trevenant. Huh. Yeah. And then it's not a ghost Pokemon, but I have a huge soft spot for Beware. Beware. Oh yeah, I love I love Beware. You know, hug you so tight you're gonna die. <laughs> you're just, yeah. I'm gonna kill your friendship. Yeah, Aww. so yeah, I love that. They're are they a normal fighting type? Yeah, normal fighting. So so then the normal type kind of protects the ghost weakness. Yeah, I have a little wild card in there. Yeah, no, I like it. I like that. Dragapult's one of my favorite Pokemon of all time right now. I just love like it's, it's a Dreepy, which is so cute. I love Dreepy, and then it evolves and it it just becomes a bigger Dreepy, but with another Dreepy on its head. And then Dragapult just becomes, like, a bigger Dreepy with two Dreepies. It's like if Kangaskhan was a ghost type, and instead of fighting for the kid, she just put the kid out of her pocket and threw it at some at the opponent. <laughs> it's true. I, I agree. And that is so goofy. It's such a goofy concept. It's like, I'm going to hang back here, but y'all can go take care of this for me. Yeah. And just shoots little, little, little guys right on through. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, what is something you'd like to say to the next generation of humans growing up in the world? I would like to tell the future kids of America and Canada and the world, it's okay to not fully understand who you are and who you're meant to be right away. It's okay to make mistakes and learn from them. It's okay to not be perfect all the time, and it's okay to need some extra time to find your footing. Mm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Hunter, and I'm I'm sad it's done. I want to just keep going, but thank I just you for say, having me. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, awesome. thank you for having me. It was really cool to do this. Uh, yeah, I was very very nervous coming into it for a minute. I was kind of like, I don't know what to even say. Like, I'm I'm a very deer in headlights person when it comes to like broad questions. And uh, mm-hmm. but I, I had a great time. It was fantastic. Um, awesome. I'll do a little tiny little little plug here. Yes, uh, please, um, please do it. If you like, I say I'm an artist, a uh, mostly digital, working some comics. Hopefully, one day bigger comic animation. Um, if you're interested in that sort of journey, or if you want to see the piece that we were discussing earlier, it's okay, then mm-hmm. you can uh, check out at Hauntera, 
is H-A-U-N-T-E-R-A. So the word Hauntra with an A after. Yes. On Instagram. And that is where you'll find a lot of what I've been working on past, present, and eventually future. Amazing. So that'll, yep. <laughs> I just had a, another quick thing to sign off, but I just realized, like, I think you're the second hard of hearing artist I've had on the show. Oh, really? That's just well, wild. I wanted to be the first, so you're gonna have to release this episode first. Oh, <laughs> is that episode already? That episode already leaked, isn't it? It is. I'm sorry. Okay, we're gonna have to, also... you're gonna have to. You'll have to delete that episode. <laughs> release my episode, and then I'll let you go ahead and say, "Wow, you're the first hard of hearing person I've ever had on this <laughs> podcast." Yeah, you can say it. I'll wait. I, but <laughs> I can't do that. How about this? Maybe one day we could have like a three way podcast. Battle all the deaths. Bat- oh my god. <laughs> the greatest Bat- the, the greatest battle you'll never hear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Um but yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I don't know. I'm just Yeah, that would be great. this out. I don't know, but <laughs> that's okay. That would be cool though. I would love to do that. It's always cool to talk to other people that are hard of hearing and also artists so hey that might be a really interesting conversation who knows conversation with my friend uh, Hunter Allen. I really do hope you enjoyed. I actually think this is probably one of my favorite conversations I've had in a really long time and so I'm so excited to share it with you. I want to just say thank you to Hunter for opening up about your story and for teaching us and telling us how to have the courage to start again and for having this uh, really great conversation about your art and about all this nerdy stuff that we're both into. I really enjoyed it. Now, something that I do want to mention is that I actually don't have any social media for Hunter anymore. I know at the very end of the podcast, he was uh, promoting his Instagram. However, Hunter has decided to cancel all of his Instagram for his mental health, which, honestly, I think that's an incredibly wise idea. And if uh, anyone wants to uh, do something to better their own mental health, I actually deeply recommend maybe thinking about how much time you're spending on social media, how many things you're being subjected to that are actually affecting you, and maybe really just thinking about, is it that you don't care about what's going on in the world, or maybe you just care more about yourself? that you're willing to maybe take a step back from social media. I don't know, but I uh, definitely recommend everyone to maybe take a page out of Hunter's uh, notebook there and maybe just really start to assess your own relationship with social media. With that being said, I do believe that I'm going to be putting the the Oak Haven um, creature picture on my Instagram or on uh Maybe I'll be posting some links to um, Hunter's website. I know he was trying to uh, 
get that in the works. So um, keep your eyes open for any links to his work. And yeah, with that being said, Bramblings, I just want you to know that there is always time to start again and that it can be so difficult to want to try to start again, but just know that when we really reach deep down into who we are, we will always find that courage to do so. Just know that I love you so much, and I'm thinking about you, and I want to hug you, and kiss you, and laugh with you, and yeah, I'm thinking about you. Anyways, guys, bye for now. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little bramblings, to the next generation of humans growing up in the world, as well as to anyone who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. Editing and sound design are by Cedar Picture and Sound, MB Productions, and Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Curiosity, and it's composed by Matthew Grazier at Grazier Music. The logo was designed by Misaki at Hostess Misaki on Twitch TV. And if you'd like to follow me on any social media, you can do so on Twitch as well as on Instagram at Lucatronosaurus Rex. And to anyone who is listening to the podcast this far in, I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I really do appreciate it. I do, however, need to say that this podcast was brought to you for education and entertainment purposes and should not be used as a substitute for actual licensed coaching, counseling, or therapy. If you are experiencing some sort of pain in your life and you need some help, I definitely recommend shopping around for the right coach, counselor, or therapist that is right for you. With all that being said, I really do hope that you're doing something today to take care of yourself, and I do hope that you have a great rest of your day. Bye for now.